I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. Thank you for listening to More Christianity. More Christianity is the book I've written to share the Catholic faith with evangelical Christians. And so we go through the different doctrines of the Catholic faith and explain them to evangelicals in a friendly way, not saying we're right, you're wrong, but affirming everything which is good about their sincere devotion to Jesus Christ, but summoning them to come further up and further in and to share in the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. More Christianity is available to purchase from my website, DwightLongenecker.com. Go there and look for that and take a minute to browse my other books as well. And now let's get started with more Christianity. Welcome to More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker, and this is the program where we explore the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. Part of the fullness of the Christian faith is to communicate not just the doctrines of the faith and the moral teachings of Catholicism, uh, but also to communicate the personalities, the joy, the spirit of being a Catholic. And today my guest is author Devin Rose. He is uh, with us from Austin, Texas, where he's a member of St. William's Parish in Round Rock, He's been a Catholic for about 12 years and has come into the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church from being brought up as an atheist. Welcome to More Christianity, Devin. Father Dwight, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here today. Uh, Devin, we were talking earlier about your background and your upbringing. Tell our our listeners a little bit about that. You were brought up in an atheistic family. Now, some of our atheist converts were brought up as as Christians and then in college became atheists and then come back to Christianity. But you didn't have a Christian Christian foundation at all to start with. Is that correct? No, not at all. In my family, we never once said a prayer growing up. We never read from the Bible. We never, we didn't go to church. Um... And, uh, the, well, one time we went to church, but it was the Unitarian Universalist Church. Uh-huh. And the one we went to taught that you could believe in whatever you wanted, just try to be good to people. Right. Now, let me ask you about that. So there was a kind of atheistic atmosphere in your home. Was that kind of like, no one ever talks about this and it doesn't really matter? Or, or was that kind of committed atheism in which your parents were like, you know, those Christians are all crazy, gun-toting fundamentalists, we hate them all? Or was it kind of an intellectual atheism? What, what, what was the atmosphere like? My mom was an intellectual atheist. And from early on, I was she was giving me books about evolution that uh-huh. you know, literally showed the people coming up from the primordial ooze and becoming an ape-like creature than a person. My dad was, he was more indifferent. One time a Baptist had told him he was going to go to hell, and he took umbrage with that, and that was the story he always told whenever Christianity or religion came up. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, you know, he was told to go to, to, to go to hell, and he didn't like that. And So I, I grew up really adopting uh, my mom's sort of scientific atheism, which I thought had a very nice ring to it in support uh, from evidence, if you will. Were you taught to distrust uh, religious people? I mean, were you you taught that all religious people were maybe like that Baptist who was going around, you know, breathing hellfire and damnation? The main thing I learned was skepticism. Mm-hmm. And that probably could even have been described as a cynicism, not only about human beings, um, 
but also with regard to being able to know anything other than what we can empirically prove. Right. Religious people, to me, were just very deluded because they believe in a spiritual realm that is uh, unprovable empirically. And all things being equal, why would you believe in something that you had no knowledge of or uh, empirical knowledge of? Mm -hmm. So this is interesting because one of the important things in being able to defend our Catholic faith is to try as best we can to get into the shoes, to get into the mindset of the people that we're talking to. You know, a lot of apologetics and evangelism, unfortunately, very often goes on along these lines in which a person with strong convictions, maybe like that Baptist who knocked on your door, just goes to the atheist or or the non-believers and starts quoting Bible verses to them and and, and stating doctrinal truths and and sort of telling them they're going to hell. and, And that doesn't really work. You have to try to understand the mindset and the worldview of the people we're talking to. So, uh, Devin, you're being brought up as an atheist, and this is what I, I'm really trying to dig at here. You're, you're saying that your view of religious people was kind of, why would you want to believe something which is so like a fairy tale? Is that what you how you viewed it? Yeah, a fairy tale. Mm-hmm. And I had never run into a Christian who taught me anything else. Right. Um, so even, and my atheism was pretty ingrained, even in like 6th, 7th grade, I was playing Nintendo with my friends, and I knew they went to a Methodist church, and in between games, I would challenge them and say, why do you believe in God? Mm-hmm. Why, are you, why are you going to church? That's ridiculous. And of course, you don't expect me to be a 6th grader to have an answer to that, but even once I reached high school, it was the same thing. And so I had no reason to believe in God or believe that the existence of God was even probable in any sense of the word. And I suppose if you actually did hear any Bible stories, you would have put those into the same category maybe as fairy tales. So, for instance, I explained to my eighth grade uh, confirmation students, you know, you need to be able to distinguish between different types of stories. It's very easy, for instance, to hear the story, let's say, of the Annunciation, in which the angel Gabriel comes to the Blessed Virgin Mary. You know, and here comes the angel with wings and all the rest of it, and there's the Blessed Virgin, who's this sweet young girl. And it sounds suspiciously like uh, the fairy godmother coming to Cinderella. Likewise, there's the story of Jack and the Beanstalk. He climbs up the, the beanstalk and he kills a giant. Ooh, that's exciting. And then you hear the story of David and Goliath, who, who uses his slingshot to kill the giant. And it's very easy to, to read these Bible stories and put them into the same category as, as well, as fairy tales. Is, is that the way you looked at it? Oh, yeah. And my familiarity with the Bible was pretty limited, but I would go to the doctor, and there is the Children's Illustrated Bible, and I would flip through it, and there's there's Noah in the Ark, uh-huh. um, and the, the implausibility of that, and there's the Tower of Babel, and the slavery in Egypt and Moses, and, it, and it's all just very fantastical. It, it seems so foreign, especially to someone, uh, a modern person in our day and age. Moses throws his staff down, it turns into a snake, and it, it's a little bit like Gandalf and everything, you know. Right. He turned the sea red with blood or something? Like, have you ever seen a sea turn red with blood? Of course not. So why would you think that that happened ages and ages ago? What I needed as an atheist, I think, were two things. And one was someone just to be my friend who was a Christian, and that Mm -hmm. eventually happened, someone who I truly respected. And the second one is one of those Christian friends showing me that 
there were plausible reasons from philosophy to believe in God. And for a long time, I, I had neither of those. And eventually I got a Christian friend, and that was a big mm-hmm. key part of me ultimately deciding, well, God is real. You're listening to More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. This is the program where we explore the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. If you have heard my guest, Devin Rose, and myself talking about atheism a few minutes ago, I want to remind listeners that we weren't actually espousing those views. <laughs> we, we were trying to get into the shoes, into the skin, into the mindset of, of an atheist and how an atheist young man actually looked at the world. And Devin, you were explaining that the Bible stories with their miraculous elements came across to you as really just another collection of perhaps interesting but children's fairy tales. Now, you had to move on from that. When you, you say you began to, to think things through when you met a friend and, a, and, and someone you respected who also was a Christian. It reminds me of C.S. Lewis's story where he was firmly ensconced in his atheism as a university you know, lecturer at Oxford, and then he met J.R. Tolkien, who was this amazingly brilliant linguist and, and academic, and he turns out to be a Christian. So you had, did you have a similar kind of experience? Yes and no. For me, as opposed to C.S. Lewis, I would say, I had so much overweening pride built up within me, because I had done pretty well in sports and in school growing up. And so not only did I think that God was silly to believe in, but also I had never had any recourse to God, and I didn't need his help, obviously, because I was making straight A's and getting into good colleges and such. So for me, first what had to happen was something bad, and that for me happened to be anxieties that grew into an anxiety disorder where I became very fearful of what other people would think of me. That ultimately led to my sort of wall crumbling to where I could even contemplate that perhaps my atheistic beliefs were not the truth. That's then where the uh, Christian friends that I had, especially one in particular, really began to make a difference because I had an alternative then to at least consider, and that was the joyful life of my Christian friend. Interesting. So it was really the experience of personal trauma, personal difficulties, which made you look a bit more deeply into the whole question of truth and reality and what made for for a contented and happy life. Exactly. Mm -hmm. The thing is, if there's an atheist you know who's completely close to you, who is hostile, who just seems to be so smart and arrogant and everything else, the walls are up. You know, there's, right. there's not an opportunity there. But the reality of this world, as we both know, is that there is tragedy that happens. Divorces, tragic losses of a child or personal problems, those happen to everybody. Right. And those, I think, are the opportunities that uh, we have to see as we want to befriend atheists and, and all people, is that those moments that atheists like me begin to turn to look to see if there's any other answers out there. That's interesting. I I write a blog daily called Standing on My Head. I invite listeners to follow my blog, follow my tweets and things like that. And on my blog, I regularly write about atheism, and it attracts atheists to the combox, and they make their comments there. And I don't know, I can't judge all atheists by the ones who come to my combox, but they don't seem to be a very happy or joyful group of people. Um, (laughs) So are these just the kind of atheists who are writing angrily on Christian comboxes, Devin, or, or do you think there is a kind of, you mentioned cynicism uh, and so forth as part of your worldview. I'll ask you straight, do you think atheists are happy? No, by and large they're not. And even if there's a sort of a veneer of happiness in their lives that's comfortable or convenient, 
when you scratch the surface a little bit, you find that they're not happy. As an atheist, as I said, I had never prayed before. Mm -hmm. And, you know, think about the consolation and the graces and joy we receive through prayer. Now think of an atheist who, just like everyone else, is wronged by others, is hurt, and yet he has no recourse to God for asking forgiveness of himself and also for forgiving another person. Mm -hmm. So it can become a very deeply sad reality, especially because he's following his beliefs. There is no ultimate meaning or purpose of his life, of existence. What a disastrous, terrible thing to face every day that you, you have no ultimate hope right. that there is going to be God or anything beyond death. And to put it this way, the atheist, in the end, can only believe in himself, and that's a pretty lonely existence. Mm -hmm. I want to go with you, Devin, into another area here about contemporary atheism. I'm sure that uh, as an apologist and a, and a writer, you've explored the different ideas behind contemporary atheism. In his encyclical Faith and Reason, Blessed Pope John Paul II explores some of the mindsets, the erroneous mindsets of the modern world, and just three of those are historicism, scientism, and materialism. Historicism is that view that the events which took place in history were simply a, a random collection of happenstance events. In other words, that there's no divine providence which is steering history. Okay. Historicism is therefore saying the only thing we can know about truth and about history are the, are the few bits of facts that we can glean from uh, things, but there's no overriding meaning to it all. Yeah, all three of these, I mean, are, are peas in a pod when you're an atheist because Scientism is that belief that I had spoken of, I held, where I'm only going to believe those things which are empirically provable. Mm -hmm. And that excludes anything that's intangible or the spiritual realm, that excludes God. It even excludes, self-contradictorily, knowing things through the proper use of philosophy. Right. So even though scientism itself can't prove itself, because scientism itself is a sort of philosophical ideology... Scientism claims to be logical, but it's intrinsically illogical. Right. It's, it's uh -huh. making a claim that's, in some sense, beyond itself, um, or it's disproving itself. And most atheists that you run into are going to subscribe to scientism, to materialism. All that, that you can see, that's all there is. You know, it's, it's matter, it's, it's energy, it's, there, there's, no, there's nothing transcendental or immortal and yeah, what's happened through history is just literally the accidents of atoms colliding together in whatever way. That's, what it, what, that's who we are as human beings, too. We just happen to be a collection of atoms and neurons that have collided in random ways that have produced us. Mm -hmm. Without being specific, you would say that was also part of the way you looked at the world, that there was nothing else but what you could see and what you could experience here. Oh, yes, absolutely. And, and as a buttress for that, too, you'll often hear someone who's been espoused like the sort of Darwinian evolution, even beyond what might be accepted scientifically, but just that the explanation for everything is evolution. You know, that's where everything kind of came from after however the, the Big Bang happened got started. You were telling us about your conversion story, and you met a friend who was actually a believer. What was the next step? How did, how, how did you begin to move away from this mindset of historicism and materialism and, and scientism? Well, the good thing about uh, atheism is it offers no hope whatsoever, <laughs> which is sort of ironic. And so when I was having depression and ultimately suicidal thoughts, 
my atheistic beliefs offered me nothing but despair. And seeing the joy in my Christian friend, I said, okay. I went to my bookshelf, and when, would you believe it, when I was 10 years old, I was given an old King James Bible by my cousins, who were uh, sort of fundamentalist Baptists, and I took the dust off of that uh, and started reading the Bible from Genesis onward. And along with that, I said, okay, this is the book that supposedly Christians say is God's book, and if God is real, I'm going to begin asking God to help me, because I am feeling suicidal, and that hmm. my life is being destroyed. So as ridiculous as it felt for me, I said my first prayer, and this was as about 21 years old, God, I don't believe you're real, but I need help. So Beautiful. please help me. Mm-hmm. And that's how it began. That's, that's fantastic. Now, that was in the quietness of my room. I was almost ashamed of myself uh-huh. even for doing it. You were a college student at the time? Um, yes, that's mm-hmm. right. I was a junior, senior in, in college. Uh-huh. So you began to read the Bible. What, what happened after that? Did you become a Protestant? Yes. I was trying to understand the Bible, and it was very difficult to understand. Eventually, my friend gave me, instead of the old King James, he gave me an NIV Bible. This is my Protestant friend who saw that I was reading the Bible and almost couldn't believe it. And I was reading it, and I was trying to make sense of it. And I I will tell you, I read through the whole Bible, and this is an atheist. I had no other help, you know, given me. But there were two passages in the Bible that jumped out at me, both from the New Testament and both having to do with anxiety, since that was the thing that was dominating my life. Mm. One was where Jesus said in St. Matthew's Gospel, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavily laden, and I will give you rest. And the other one was in Philippians, where St. Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything. And be, you know, in everything, prepare and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Those words struck me, and as an atheist dealing with this anxiety that was too much for me to, to control, I had the first inclinations that there was hope possible for me. That's beautiful. So the Holy Spirit just did a, a, a kind of backdoor attack. He sort of snuck around your intellectual defenses and, and hit you in the heart where your vulnerability was. Yes, and I can <laughs> see that now. At the time, I had no clue that, and that's a key point, that Holy Spirit knows the secret way through each person's heart. Right? However hardened, there's a way. And that is so fantastic to hear, Devin, because so often we focus our apologetics and our, and our evangelism on the intellectual arguments, talking about all the arguments mm-hmm. for, the, for the existence of God and, and the Catholic Church and right interpretation of Scripture and all these kind of things. And in fact, those of us who work in communications know that a message which is without heart is an empty message. It's like the Tin Man, you know, in The Wizard of Oz. He, there's no heart there. And a, a message which is merely intellectual and is only intellectual can only take us so far. So this is a beautiful story that there you are as an atheist college student and the Holy Spirit uses Scripture to speak to your heart. I'd like to talk for another half hour with you, Devin, but we're running out of time here. Quickly, tell us what happened after that. So I did start going to the Baptist Church with my friend, and that was quite a new experience for me, and I didn't know what to think about it. And it took me quite a while to even understand what was happening, because it was just quite so far. And the music and what they were talking about assumed all this uh, certain lexicon and vocabulary. But over the next year, praying, reading the scriptures, and now also talking to my Christian friends about it, because I sort of told them, I'm, I'm trying to believe this, guys, <laughs> and right. I need help, mm-hmm. I became a Protestant Christian, and at one point during that time, it was like the floodgates opened up, and Uh I felt 
hope and joy and love just flood into my life in a way that I knew I could not have manufactured myself. Right. And, and that that feeling, that experience, which lasted for for many months, was amazing. And that is when my life began to change. And it, it coincided quite closely, actually, when I decided to get baptized in the Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. Little did I realize that I, when I was baptized, I was receiving the Holy Spirit and having my sins forgiven and all these other things. So I was a great evangelical, on-fire Christian for about a year or two only, and then ultimately became Catholic, as I am today. So you were only a Baptist for about two years? That's right. Uh, yeah, a year and a half uh, or so. That was it. Because... This was actually another benefit of atheism. I came to Christianity without without any baggage of growing up in a certain Christian denomination. Right. And and so when I started looking into things, I said, well, wait a second, we don't believe the same thing that Catholics do or Methodists do or whoever else. And from reading the Bible, John chapter 17 that you're familiar with, when Jesus prayed that we would be one as he and the Father are one, that was the key for me. I realized wait, Jesus wants us to be one, and we're all divided as Christians, there must be a way he's provided for us to be one. Fantastic. So that led you on your path to the Catholic Church, and you made clear that you did not have an awful lot of Protestant baggage. Uh, so you were still on this quest with a fairly open mind. What was it then that brought you into the Catholic Church? I'm showing my age now, Father Dwight. This was in the age of cassette tapes mm-hmm. still, and I had one Catholic friend through whom I received the conversion story of a man named Scott Hahn. Right. <laughs> this was, you know, disseminated via cassette tape, and I hid it up in my room because I had three Baptist friends at the time, and I couldn't have them notice. But I listened to it, and he was the first person who was a Catholic who actually had arguments for Catholicism, who was a faithful Protestant minister uh-huh. who knew the Scriptures and yet still became Catholic. And I could not believe it when I heard that. Well, Devin, I have to just put in a personal touch here as well. Uh, probably around the same time period, this would have been maybe the early 90s, I was an Anglican priest in England, and someone gave me a copy of a, a cassette of Scott Hahn's conversion story. And I don't know who copied all those cassettes and who got them all over the world, but I had one in England about the same time period. For me, it wasn't the first argument I'd heard for the truth of the Catholic faith, but it was a powerful argument and helped me on my journey, too. So you heard one of Scott Hahn's cassettes, and um, you started to go to Mass, yeah, or, or what? Well, there was also, this was becoming the first wave golden age of Catholic apologetics, as you know, where mm-hmm. there started to be writing of books by Mark Shea and Carl Keating. Eventually, I went to Mass, and when I went to Mass, the thing I was struck most by, sort of like Scott Hahn, was how much Scripture was weaved throughout right. the Mass. And here I had thought that Catholics didn't know anything about the Bible, and yet this entire Mass is full of the Scriptures. Beautiful. I need to remind everybody, you're listening to More Christianity, the program where we explore the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker, and my guest is Devin Rose. He's the author of If Protestantism is True. Devin, you were mentioning this earlier, that your book has been pretty popular. It's available on Amazon, $9.99 for the hard copy, and just $2.99 for an e-book. Have you had some good responses from your book? Oh, Father Dwight, it has exceeded all expectations and then some. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure you've had this feeling for a long time, but I've only had it since I wrote this book. But people will email me out of the blue and tell me, oh, I just happened to find your book randomly, and I'm a fallen away Catholic, or I'm a Protestant, and 
wow, I I never knew all of this, yes. and now I'm in going to RCIA, or now I'm going to become Catholic, or now I'm at least thinking about it. And it's the, the most humbling experience in the world uh, to to see that God is working through this humble writing that I made. You know? Well, I have to tell you, Devin, I had a conversation with a former Presbyterian pastor here in South Carolina last year, and we went out to dinner together, and he was on his journey to the Catholic Church, and I said, well, you must have been doing some, reading some books, and uh, what's bringing you to this stage where you're about to give up your entire ministry and, and you and your family to come into full communion with the Church? He said, well, one of the important books was uh, If Protestantism is True by a guy called Devin Rose. So it really is having an effect on people, and, and God bless you for that. I recommend it to our listeners, If Protestantism is True, by Devin Rose. You can find it on Amazon. Devin, tell us about some of your other work to spread the good news. You have a blog, and tell us a bit about where to find you. Oh, sure, yeah. My blog is St. Joseph's Vanguard. You can just search for Devin Rose or for St. Joseph's Vanguard. And my blog is a little bit like yours, Father Dwight. You kind of have your topics and your specific interests. And mine is apologetics. Also, I'm sort of interested in this agrarian movement. So I, I write about that. I write about other things. I also have a podcast. You can just search for Catholic Apologetics Podcast, and um, it'll it'll be there on iTunes, I think, right after Jimmy Akin's, <laughs> which I'm humbled to be in such company. Doing a great job, Devin. We look forward to reading your blog and reading about your agrarian pursuits. Do, do you have animals? <laughs> do you have any bees or pigs or anything like that? Or We've been beekeepers for several years. We just ordered some bees, and we're about to move out to 10 acres and a house outside of town in about a month. Great. Uh, you sound like Catholic Mennonites. Is that what you're trying to do here, is uh, go back to the earth and all that sort of thing? You know, we are. We're Since we're Catholic, as you know, Father Dwight, we, we can recognize that even uh, our Protestant brothers and sisters have some things right in some ways, but mm-hmm. if we can then infuse that with the fullness of the truth that we have in Catholicism, it just becomes, you know, even better. So, you know, we're not going to try to set up a commune or something, but just to, to try to get a little bit back to the land, if nothing else, just for our family. That's great. Now, let's finish the conversation with your conversion to the Catholic Church. You finally were ready to take the step. Were you received into the Church with a lot of other converts at Easter, or was it a special ceremony? How did that happen? You know, believe it or not, I went to the great Texas A&M University, and unfortunately, not until the last semester did I start going to RCA at St. Mary's Student Center, and wonderfully, there were something like 50 or 70 people who who came into the Catholic Church at St. Mary's from all walks of life. As as you know, God has been really moving in St. Mary's Student Center there at Texas A&M, and I was very fortunate, I think providentially so, to, to have gone to school there if, mm-hmm. uh, for no other reason than that. <laughs> so that's where you were received into the Church. Well, thank you, Devin Rose, for being my guest today on More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker, and this is More Christianity, the program where we explore the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. My guest today has been Devin Rose, a convert from atheism. He's the author of If Protestantism is True, a slim little book, but a powerful little book, which is helping a lot of people make that same journey to join us in the Catholic Church. Devin Rose, thank you for being my guest today. Thanks, Father Dwight. really enjoyed it. 